there we go. Episode four. Um, we're almost close to five. And yeah, uh, we, have, we have some ideas for a couple pod episodes. So y- yeah, starting to compile ideas and and uh, topics and content, which is for, for what sure life is about in this uh, <laughs> millennia. Accruing content is the new form of currency. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess you guys have probably noticed the intro song that we were graciously able to add to the podcast. Yeah, so big shout out to uh, Baby Fuzz for yeah, massive work, shout out working with us to get that that track you heard licensed. Check out his new album, Welcome to the Future. Just uh, dropped a couple of months ago, two months ago. Um, mm-hmm. Good stuff. Give it a listen. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, no, that's going to be uh, the new intro song for for the foreseeable future here, and uh, you know it'll be it'll, it will mark uh, each week's episode, and you can get uh, you can get hyped up listening to the idea that we're all going to die. <laughs> exactly i mean he's he's on it with the uh yeah the line of thought exactly he, he gets the vibe yeah um but yeah no this uh this week um we me and callum took some time to think about reviewing kind of a movie a hollywood movie as a basis for the podcast essentially yeah a uh <clears throat> semi-factual movie like a, a hollywood very very hollywood yeah a hollywood interpretation of real life events exactly and we all know that those uh generally most of the time you know let people down and they let us down yeah and that movie is the mauritanian and they're always 100 percent accurate yeah (laughs) yeah with no exaggerations exactly they're not trying to curate a uh, feeling so that when you leave, um, you know, the theater or you leave your couch, you're not going to feel like you want to curl up in a ball and cry yourself to sleep. Which is what you should do. Yeah. I mean, th- that's what that's what the hope of this movie. It, that's what I was kind of hoping. Like, I wanted to be, well, just genuinely more fueled with enrage of Guantanamo Bay and the war on terror um, during the Bush administration. So I guess that kind of prefaces what the movie is about. I don't know. Yeah, if you guys have heard of it, it's the Mauritanian. Yeah, give give them a little summary. Give them a little summary. Okay, the Mauritanian. Yeah, we're looking at. Um, yeah, this is a movie that came out recently, and um, it has a yeah star-studded cast. Yeah, we got Jodie Foster, Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. And uh, anybody else notable, or is it really just those two? That yeah, Shaylee Shailene Woodley. Um, she's in like. Um, the Divergent series, I think it's called. And I think she might be in Hunger Games. Oh, so nothing worth watching. Either. Yeah. But, like, she's, like, pretty prolific. Oh, and I think she was, like, in a in uh, in The Fault of Our Stars. Fault in Our Stars. She was in that, I think. She, oh, yeah, she was the... Three Strikes Man. I'm yeah. a, I don't know who this is. Can't even put the face to the name. You'd recognize her. But nonetheless, yeah. Um... I watched the movie, and I don't even know what her character is. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I guess to try to preface the movie... um. I mean, I did write a bit of a review. I mean, I don't know if we want to do that. Let it fly, man. Let, Let it, it fly. fly. Okay, and you can tell me what you think. I mean, and and fill in where I might have missed. But this is this is the general summary of the Mauritanian. All right. So Hollywood takes another attempt at uh, taking a diary narrative to the big screen by offering a sterilized plot on human injustice suffered at Gitmo. The plot: take a silver-haired, red lipstick Jodie Foster. Working as a humanitarian lawyer versus the good Christian military lawyer, played by Benedict Cumberbatch, 
who turns to retire after he realizes that his oath wasn't taken too seriously by all branches of government and that force-feeding, sexual assault, and torture to the most chilling degree was also in the arsenal, Corporal. Shocker. But this boomer showdown needed a sick-looking, deranged millennial lawyer who doesn't know how to cope with the big wide world. The Hollywood machine slotted in Shailene Woodley, who nails the run-of-a-mill A-lister who will bring in those Gen Zers. While each archetype for the Law & Order play was set up, uh, Tahar uh, Rahim, playing Mohamedou Osali, so the, the Mauritanian, a prisoner uh, uh, blamed for the corroboration with the 9-11 attackers, carries the weight for all of the Hollywood listers. While this film sets up a single Gitmo story, one of the most heinous injustices felt at this prison, it lacks any degree of condemnation for how the early 2000s PR machine was in its golden years, as it lacked Twitter mobs, Crave TV docs, and Patreon-funded podcasters yet to be unleashed. Many, especially my 90s babies, may forget the start of the War on Terror by Bush, which spurred many human injustices, i.e. that Bush is a war criminal, one of which was dropping a change-link fence um, in the corner of Cuba. So Jodie Foster rightly points out in the movie that soon the cruise ships and the tourists will be sipping on some slush drinks while they uh, roll themselves along the beach. And then that's a paraphrase, and I also wish the writers used that, as it might have uh, shed a much needed level of sharp stabs at the American people this movie needed. But frankly, the story of Gitmo's long-standing place of extreme human torture, supported and funded by the U.S. government and POTUS, which has lasted through Bush, Obama, Trump, and now hopefully not Biden, was sobered by quirky supporting actors, a predictable David versus Goliath tale, and a couple of shots, happy shots, of Muhammadu at the end surrounded by his books and singing Bob Dylan. This movie plays with the story of a man who spent 14 years in prison without a shred of evidence. Other than that, what can only be thought of as forced confessions for, for crimes that were unprovable in the court of law. So let this be a reminder for when you see a Hollywood film that tries to dance around uh, irreprievable injustice committed by the U.S. government. Hollywood will be sure to not fill you with enrage, but a decorous feeling that the red, white, and blue will always do the right thing. So... That was a great summary. That was <laughs> that I, is the summary of the movie. And I, I have to say, I concur with that. Uh, my The big takeaway from that for that movie for me was exactly the the red, white, and blue will always do the right thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and extremely minimal ability to acknowledge um, what America has done in terms of funding extremist groups fighting the Soviet Union. There's a, a yeah. brief mention of that in one of the interrogations with Mohamedou, and then after that, it's just fully focusing on uh, the potential terrorist acts he was participating in exactly and i think it's good too to maybe at this point so now you know understanding Mohamedou, you know spending 14 years in prison unjustified but there's a massive canadian connection to this story that isn't highlighted in the film exactly um and that was i mean we should probably tell a little bit of a backstory about Mohamedou, maybe to sort of set the precedent for the canadian side of it in terms of like how he was kidnapped or in terms of the injustices committed <laughs> against him or well, I, I mean, I guess essentially, you know, he's from Mauritania, a country in Africa. Yeah, Northern Africa. Northern Africa. Gone to scholarship, went to Germany for electrical engineering. Yes. Uh, I think dropped out um and moved to Canada. This 
This is Mohamedou? Mohamedou, yeah. Um, in he was he was living in Montreal. Right. And essentially um and he was brought there because he had friends who lived in Canada and uh ran a mosque. And Muhammadu was able to uh, uh recite the um uh the full Quran. Right. Uh, yes, he was devout. He was devout. Like he he was he could recite it off of the top of his head. Yeah. And no uh, so anyways, he was invited to to do to lead this mosque. And uh, so that's why I ended up in Montreal. And then essentially he, I guess, got on some sort of tracking list. And there was this one incident in particular where he was living in an apartment and was hearing someone drilling uh, like a hole into the wall next to the, next to him. Right. And, uh, you know, he calls the police, blah, blah, blah. They show up and they sort of say, oh, yeah, you know, this is... Uh, they're they're hanging up Christmas lights. Yeah, it's some bullshit excuse. But the sound was like coming like you know like twenty inches off. So essentially, he was being spied upon in Canada and noticed this, picked it up by right. And also, the important thing is he came under uh, I guess not investigation or surveillance by the German police while he was in Germany. <clears throat> they essentially cleared him of any involvement. They said. He might have some connections in, in family and friend groups and stuff like this, but it doesn't appear that he is directly involved. And then he comes to Canada and the presumably CSIS, the Canadian Security Intelligence Service. Um, I don't think there's any like documents released about what agency was involved. Could have been RCMP. They have terrorist branches as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially, yeah, Germany's police forces say, oh, don't really have to worry about this guy. Comes to Canada, and then the Canadian intelligence apparatus decides they're going to look into him. And this is part of the reason he ends up in Guantanamo Bay. Yeah, exactly. And and from Montreal, he he goes back to Mauritania, and that is where he gets picked up. Um, to visit his mother there. Yeah, it's yeah. He goes back to see family and yeah. whatnot, yeah. and then and then gets picked up there, and is essentially because it's a lot harder to abduct somebody in a Canadian city than in a Northern African city. Yeah, you can throw a bag over someone's head and put them in a uh, you know an aircraft carrier and fly them off to Cuba. This is essentially what happened. Yeah. Well, he went. He didn't go directly to Cuba. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he, he kind of hopped around. He for hopped like around a year, maybe. He, right? It was a bit, a bit of a time. Maybe even right? two to three. Uh, yeah. I, we have to clarify, but I want to say he went um, Mauritania to Iraq to Jordan to Guantanamo Bay. I think there's. Yeah. He bounced around a few different military bases. That sounds right. In obviously American military bases in the Middle East, where he was subjected to torture there. Uh, and then in Guantanamo Bay, same kind of thing. Maybe, maybe hard to say if it's better or worse in, in Middle Eastern, in in Cuba. Well, yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, he, he expressed how he was, when he was handed over to the Americans, he was kind of relieved. Like when he was, when he was going to Guantanamo Bay. Right. He felt that. Uh, everything was going to be kind of cleared up the dust had settled like right you know i'm going to be able to have a lawyer and we can figure this out kind of thing um what he didn't know was that um rumsfeld and the whole slew of colonels or whatever you want to call them the hawks that were in power at that time yeah dick cheney don't donald rumsfeld george bush 
to be honest, the more the more you look at this, uh, people like to throw George Bush under the bus as like the war criminal, and I don't disagree with that. But he seems to just be like the kid at the party that says yes to yeah. trying whatever's getting passed around more so. That's a good way of putting it. More so than the uh, mastermind behind the the plan, <laughs> the agenda. He was more like the kid that just couldn't take uh, Nancy's advice and just say no. Yeah, <laughs> the yes man. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, so anyways, that's to make the point that, you know, there's plenty of commentary, especially by Rumsfeld, talking about Guantanamo Bay in a way that and and sort of describing it as a place where um, things were humane or in the sense or or no, not humane, but things were being done there that needed to be done. That was kind of the narrative. Justifiable. It was a yeah. very uh, Machiavelli-esque attitude towards what needs to be done is justifiable, right? Like the ends justify the means. Exactly, um, and and there is a lot a lot of people upset about nine eleven, uh, so they were willing to turn a blind eye. I mean, and I, the movie too, the the marine lawyer, he starts off, you know, he's on this on this crusade because his friend was on one of the planes that flew into the the twin towers, mm-hmm. and then couldn't have been more predictably wrote, but just... yeah, yeah, like I. I don't know if that's uh, a dramatized part of the story or not, but yeah, um, you know they they point out this perfect narrative of of motivation, and of course the one that is focused on in the movie is able to see that this is unjust, and uh, you know an eye for an eye isn't the way, and whatever uh, Christian mm-hmm. ideology they're going to throw in there to allow this guy to be the you know heart and soul of the american military that can do no wrong and calls it out when they see it um yeah i love how they had to show you know a couple of shots of him in a church and like a local bar and that's where he like had his realizations as moral compass aligned yeah exactly (laughs) was like so american but at the same time like neglects to point out that uh religious views or motivators for the people that they're torturing as well and they can't see the connection there so that's a nice little bit of irony a, in, in the storytelling it's a good assessment of the irony there yeah um yeah no it's like i mean i think it's you know you, you we're, you're getting the synopsis here and it, i guess it's like we i think we both sort of left watching that movie thinking like well why didn't they like like, they sort of edged at this idea that, yeah, this guy um, was supported by Jodie Foster, the humanitarian lawyer, and brought to justice. Um, but they sort of forgot about, like, all of the other, you know, prisoners. And it's not to say that, like, necessary is part of the movie, but, like, just getting a sense of, like, how... Um, the way that... He, there is some, like, outro credits about, like, how many prisoners are at Guantanamo Bay and, like how many are still in prison there and blah, 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 blah. But yeah, you really get this feeling that the movie is almost like if you're there unjustly, there, you know, you, you look, if you're there unjustly, you're going to get out. The, the rule of law is going to prevail. Habeas corpus is, is there to protect you. And we're going to honor that. Uh, but this is just acknowledging the one case where that has happened. And there's, there's other stories where people have gotten released and stuff, uh, from Guantanamo, but it really doesn't address this large majority of or 
relatively large number of people still in captivity there who who knows what they're still subjected to mm-hmm. i believe that some of the torture programs have been rolled back by administrations after the bush administration but uh um, yeah i can't fully say i mean yeah and, and that's the thing like it's so and the the movie does maybe a, the the movie does a good job of like displaying on how secretive government is about classified information and and how with the redactions of all the information and yes. how hard they have to fight to get these freedom of information acts pushed through and obvi- you can tell that the this is obviously the government tactic where okay you request the freedom of information act we redact the entire thing so we can say that we've released it but we've given you no more than not releasing it but we can say that we've complied exactly and you realize uh the one thing that i did appreciate from this movie is just the easiest way to make things go away or not change is bureaucracy just Mm -hmm. add layers on layers on layers (laughs) of bureaucracy and and eventually things will go away until someone finally says it's not worth my time yeah (laughs) Yeah, the bureaucratic machine just comes to a, 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 that final halt. Yeah. <laughs> the the Bush administration's policy was essentially the same as an insurance company trying to issue a refund. Make it so hard that they eventually say human rights aren't <laughs> worth my time and go away. I mean, yeah, uh, well said. Um, because... Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, it was injustice, human rights. Um, those are out the window when the war on terror gets branded on mass media and then sold to everyone that this is a good thing. And um, I mean, it took so long for 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 people to speak out that were you know unjustly put in Guantanamo Bay. Um, and then now, you know, this Hollywood movie has kind of brought it to light and there's been plenty of documentaries and whatnot, but it just feels like, wow, okay, I understand there's like bureaucratic barriers of closing this thing, but why isn't this more uh, of a hot button issue? Like this is still a place where some of the greatest um, uh, failures, I guess, of protecting human lives and decency happened. Right, I think the issue with, closing guantanamo mostly comes from where what happens to the people who are uh legitimate violent terrorists who have committed horrible acts right like they don't want to put them in prison in the u.s and they no allied country to america would like those people patriated to their country Mm -hmm. and then if they're to release them back to wherever they come from they have a worry that they're gonna just go back to uh rebel groups and create add to the issues of the power vacuum that you know jesus i was gonna say 50 years but far more than 50 years of western interference in in middle eastern politics that have created power vacuums Mm -hmm. that uh are the result of the issues we say see today yeah i mean i know that that's a, that's a fair point actually i guess yeah where where are where are these people going to be put yeah in the in the event that it does close i mean i guess it's i mean yeah you 
could put them in American prisons. Yeah. I mean, they've been captured by the Americans. Therefore, I mean, it is your, you've claimed responsibility essentially. Yes. Um, but so, I mean, I guess it, it gives them the right to, okay, sure. To, to open, to have that prison still open, but there's just this tarnished. I just, uh, reputation. I, on I would it. just love to hear a conservative politician or most likely a Republican politician make the argument that putting, uh, the people from Guantanamo into American prisons would radicalize people in American prisons so that you could turn around and just be like, so you're telling me that there's a systemic issue in American prisons where you send non-violent offenders to prison and they come out more violent? <laughs> so what you're telling me is we have to reform prisons to ensure that we can... Yeah. Oh, no, 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 that's not what I mean. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, 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 not that. But, um, yeah, no. <laughs> Only when they come from the Middle East and practice Islam are we willing to say this about them. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, essentially. Um, I mean, and then, you know, I guess on that, like, to maybe pivot a little bit, um, you know, the prison set up on the other side of the uh, water in the middle east um abu Ghraib. yeah i mean i, I mean there's um i guess this like I, I just mentioned this now to maybe tra or just to say like you know during this time guantanamo bay wasn't the only place where this stuff was happening right yeah guantanamo bay so america has leased land leased in air quotes um land because it's more of forced occupation yeah they uh, would have one lease payment yeah one lease pa one, one payment one lease payment since the cuban revolution and, and the castro government took power um yeah. but they've had had this lease since 1903 and it's been a military base um at least since the 30s maybe earlier uh, and then it turned into the prisoner detention camp in 2002. So uh, this was, really was born out of the Iraq invasion. Yeah. Or sorry, uh, Afghanistan invasion, because that came first. Yeah. Uh, Iraq came in 2004, and Afghanistan was what, 2001, 2002? Like yeah. late 2001? I think 2002. Two, yeah, 2000, yeah. Believe. I think, yeah, w once soldiers were, were put down on the ground kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I but guess. yeah, to Abu Ghraib, I mean, the same or worse was happening there, and and yeah. th this is the part that I find, um, intriguingly disturbing. I guess is the right way to say this, but uh, there's that famous clip of um, man, I keep wanting to call Bush Donald Trump, just like. <laughs> You know, yeah. the, the anger, the hated Republican at the time. For sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Bush, he he has the quote where he says, essentially, the reason that Al-Qaeda and these Islamic extremists carried out terrorist attacks was because they were jealous of the, the Americans' freedoms. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like the most, the most <laughs> laughable, like... I mean, response I've ever heard. Like, it has nothing to do with the fact that he you... definitely must have wrote that one. He was like, ah, I got something good to say to the press today, guys. <laughs> he, yeah, he like watched some B grade Ronald Reagan movie from 1955, <laughs> and he was like, no, I, I got. Was jealous. <laughs> yeah, I got the perfect line 
probably Fuck. probably saw like good old Ronnie in one of those Indian and cowboy movies and <laughs> said something along those lines. He's like, this applies exactly to this situation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fucking goof. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it says they're jealous of the freedoms. And then I think what really happened was the Hawks were a little bit jealous of the torture facilities Saddam Hussein had because they roll in, yeah. they find Abu Ghraib, and instead of shutting it down, they're like, oh. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, brother. Yeah. Hell yeah, brother. Yeah. Let's, Hell yeah. let's continue doing some torture. Yeah, right on. And, yeah. And we already got a gas chamber over here to burn everyone. We got people to hang over here. I mean, essentially, they walked into that place, and that's what they were saying. Yeah, they walked in there, and they realized people are, are already getting executed yeah. here. People are already getting tortured here. Yeah. Why would we get rid of that when we could just use that infrastructure? Mm-hmm. Like the some of the footage of the prison, it's like they've yeah they've just erected areas where people just get pushed into a hole and hanged. Like yeah, that really sounds humane. Yeah. So that, it's, it's so a good that, thing. So that I guess tax dollars go towards that. Yeah, and that, and and I guess the, maybe maybe not ours as Canadians, but uh, I mean Afghanistan was a, a NATO operation, and there's been uh, what German and Canadians who were involved in uh, intelligence again air quotes operations at Guantanamo Bay. Exactly, and, and assumably at other uh, facilities across the the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Well, this idea of like the enhanced interrogation methods, I mean as as much as it's like the the sort of the ones you can imagine, the cruel sort of yeah, um sexual assault, drugging, um physical violence, um but there was also, you know, doctors and trained, you know, psychoanalysts that would use um things from testimony or their past or what they would collect and use that as like, well, psychological torture methods to get further deeper into, you know, into these prisoners brains. Right. Um, so it's, you know, it's like they were, they were throwing everything that they had at trying to make the worst living hell that someone could have essentially. I mean, to the point where, yeah, I mean, physical abuse only goes so far, but I think what really breaks someone is is these these mind games that they were playing and i think that's generally what the prisoners talk about being the worst part and the straight up just no sleep yeah i mean that being sort of the with berated sort of like you were there you recruited these people like you had the weapons or like you know like or Or, just music playing really loud someone for like days someone screaming at you yeah re i've yeah, I've heard stories of like metal or even just like children's songs on replay. Yeah. Like, have you ever had to watch a half hour show of the Wiggles or anything oh, similar? Man. Could you imagine Teletubbies? Yeah, could you imagine a week of bright lights and Teletubbies the same episode on replay? Oh, that just gives me chills thinking about this. Yeah. Well, and this is the thing. And I guess we missed out this part with uh, Muhammadu, but he admitted to. Um, being associated with the recruitment of two people who were involved with the 9-11 attack. Yes. And that was a result of, yeah, 70 days without sleep. Or minimal sleep. Minimal sleep, 70 yeah. days of sleep deprivation. Yeah. Um, constantly being cold, dunked in water, ice, beaten up, and not being able to go to sleep. And then 
you know, I mean, that's what do you do at that point? Right. I mean, you, you, you're in such a delusional state of mind. I mean, and, it, and it's been proven. There's, there's research to say that uh, enhanced interrogation, a.k.a. torture, yeah. uh, doesn't provide truthful... Mm-hmm. They're inadmissible in court, like those confessions. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But even just when people are in that much duress, they'll just say whatever they need to say to get out of the situation. Yeah, I mean, when you have a rat in a cage, how is a rat going to get out? I mean, not saying these prisoners are rats. Not, that's, not, that's not the metaphor. But you have a rat in a cage. And, I mean, rats, like, eat off their arms to escape. I mean, people will go to great lengths. People will admit to the most heinous acts to get out of the discomfort that they're in. Yeah. Because that's their only option as a human to keep surviving. And that's the only option Muhammadu had. Yes. Uh, to escape from that, that prison. Yeah. Or, or to... Yeah, I mean, and it's amazing to watch but it's, him now. It's a good thing that after the Warhawks that were Donald Rumsfeld, Dick Cheney, mm-hmm. and George Bush Jr., I'm sure I'm missing a whole bunch of other people involved, uh, we had a much more progressive administration of Joe Biden and Barack Obama yeah. who kept troops in the Middle East, kept Guantanamo Bay open, um, maybe some excessive amount of drone strikes yeah they that one's always a little bit iffy because i mean every pre, it's going to be easy to say that every president uses more drone strikes because as the technology gets better drone strikes are going to become more prevalent mm-hmm. so that's a bit of a misnomer but yes he did use more drone strikes than the Bush well administration. I'm, I'm just sort of condemning the whole idea of using um drones when there's not even really a confirmed identity that the fact that everyone in that building is oh yes yeah i mean that's sort of what i was the the use of drones has nothing to do with they really don't care about the casualties on the ground they care about having to write less letters to mothers with dead sons who can vote in the u.s yeah that's That's, better optics it's better optics domestically and that's really what that's about Mm -hmm. the drone strike increase in drone strikes just means that there's uh less american soldiers dead and that's that's just domestic pandering Mm -hmm. um yeah good old domestic pandering um (laughs) you know you got to sell it to the people the pr machine doesn't work as well though as as it once did um, cause you got people like us. Yeah. You got independent, uh, grassroots oh, yeah. media and huge followings of people that are expelling the myths and the, uh, cutting through the BS that gets shoved down the pipeline. And I'm going to take the opportunity right now. Uh, Donald Rumsfeld, George Bush, uh, Jr. And Dick Cheney, you're welcome to come on the pod and justify your actions. Yeah. Open invite open invite if you want to defend this mm-hmm. we're gonna give you the platform to uh defend yourselves and probably call you out a little bit on the way but yeah. uh that's out there i mean i would just love to imagine like george bush or bush and ellen because they're friends apparently right like you've heard this like yeah well he's also into doing uh watercolor paintings now of, of like yeah uh, famous americans i mean i think it just kind of shows the level of like obliviousness that this guy had yeah i mean watercoloring painting is a pretty classic thing for like older people to do like i mean i think it's a thing so like but like that alan would sit down with this guy 
and say he's like friendly and like he's my friend that's that's the funny thing about bush though is everybody well, he's a nice guy exactly everybody who sits down with him seems to be like oh he's a super nice guy for sure unless you're in a country that is challenging the u.s hegemony in a certain area and then the bombs come out and the contracts to rebuild the country go to your the company that your dad's a board member of Mm-hmm. little cha-ching here little cha-ching there everyone's happy meanwhile your family has a long history of doing business with the saudi family that you may or may not have heard of they're not that well known mm. bin laden family mm, um, yeah it's a very large family so I there's think it's ringing a bell yeah there's a few bad apples in that group but yeah. uh not those aren't the ones that the bush family deals with so okay it's fine. yeah well i mean yeah like i mean I, I love berating Ellen and I mean, you know, ta- speaking of bad apples, I mean, he, you know, she's in his circle. So, I mean, this is just a testament, but if, she, if she's creating a toxic workplace and says he's great, you know, that he is also creating a toxic administration. Well, this is the thing. This is actually where Bush or Rumsfeld was getting through Bush, the tactics to use at Abu Ghraib from Ellen's torture chamber at her set in Hollywood. Well, this makes perfect sense. Like this is actually where the connection is. Um, but, yeah. Um, <laughs> Abu Ghraib, yeah, that that is a... Um, that place, though, there was a point... I was listening to this interview, you know, prior to the U.S. taking over. Because essentially, yeah, Saddam Hussein was running that prison. Yes, he was running Abu Ghraib, yeah. He was running that prison. That was his for political opponents. Like, he was killing and... so many people that they had to have gas ovens on constantly. I mean, to burn the bodies. Yeah, that's that's next level. That's fucked. Yeah. I, I have written down here, killing 800 people a day and has g- gas ovens on constantly. That's just literally my note. Um... And then the U.S. took it over and, like we were saying earlier, walked in and said, Ice, this is going to fit very well with our... This um, will help us meet our emission goals because we don't have to build new torture t- chambers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So at least at least they're reducing, reusing, and recycling. That's true. Yeah, they're using existing infrastructure, um, and that's that's good because climate, climate change is real. So I, I know that it was going through the soldiers' minds when they were thinking about booting that thing back up. But um, do you think Aaron O'Toole was having that well, <laughs> cross his mind while he was serving in the armed forces? I didn't know he served. Yeah, he was in the uh, Navy I, or the Air Force. I did not know that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He's Where a- did he serve? Do you, do you know his backstory? Um, I don't know that he... I don't think he ever saw uh, he was combat. Uh, he might have been deployed but i want to say he's navy oh okay so he was maybe more yeah more working the ship yeah working surveillance or working the radar well there's two ships in canada so Mm. and so one of them exactly well well, he's from the east coast right so yeah 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 uh okay there you go he enrolled at the royal military college of canada at 18 became an officer in the royal canadian air force at 22 and he did basic training in chilliwack Wow. And then got his wings in Winnipeg and was then based in Shearwater, Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia sorry for the mispronunciation. Nova Scotia. 
and then, yeah, so he spent his 20s flying on search and rescue missions and naval support operations with the 423 Squadron. Okay. So mostly search and rescue. Who knows what the naval operations really entail? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he served. <clears throat> Surprise. He was a prison guard at Abu Ghraib. Um no, yeah, I mean that's the Canadian army for you. We are peacekeepers. We we are in a lot of respects. In a lot of respects, except in Haiti apparently, which we're probably going to be oh, doing yeah. an episode on. We'll do, we're definitely going to be doing an episode on that. Um but uh yeah, no, going back to Abu Ghraib. So this is interesting. I was reading, well, okay, so the essentially the guy who was the whistleblower so this is a pretty sad, but also not surprising story. Um, his name was Joe Darby, and he was um, working at the prison, and he wanted to send some photos back to his family of uh, where he was in Baghdad. And um, the photographer just kind of gave him two CDs, and he was like, oh, okay, great. And then he sort of copied the CDs, and he was like, okay, cool, I'm going through the photos. And then on that disc was the photos of all of the heinous sort of torture acts and um, Ellen was in the background and, um, and, you know, people were laughing and whatnot, but anyways, no. So he got these photos and, um, and then, yeah, he essentially, he reported them and what happened was after he reported them, the people who were part of the, the, um, the, the torture, there was essentially like seven people. They weren't immediately taken out. So like, for a month, he was there, and, like, the seven people knew someone ratted, but didn't know who it was. So every night he slept... So they with... just played Clue every night yeah. to see who did it in the torture chamber with the axe? Yeah, like... straight up. Like, Jesus he slept Christ. with a fucking gun under his pillow for a month with it cocked and loaded, like, ready to go. Because uh, he, he just felt like someone may come in and try to slit his throat. So, you know, we have this Joe Darby guy who is you know, he did the right thing. I mean, and it's crazy because the backlash at home was mixed, but a large, so his hometown, small town, essentially um, outsed him from coming home and said you were a traitor. And, you know, what you did was wrong and you 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 failed your, 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 your brothers in arms. And um, he could never go home. And the, the U S military deemed it were like, they're like, yeah, it's not safe for you to go back home. And essentially for like six months after when he came back, he was under heavy guard because he was getting death threats and, um, you know, uh, for, for what he did. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Had, oh yeah. Charles Granier. This was the, he was the ringleader of the Abu Ghraib torture. Right. Um, so essentially when you do the right thing and uh call out torture, yeah. people just have such a Machiavellian take on what needs to be done to avenge nine eleven that they're that they don't care. They literally don't give a fuck, yeah. I mean I couldn't even and the, he was even saying how family turned on him and were like, Yeah, you're a traitor. Well family turns on family over like who they support politically. Yeah, so I'm not too I, surprised on, on something like this. Not too surprised. But I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised by any stretch of the imagination. You know, there's all, anytime there's a whistleblower, there's a large, uh, large group of people who disagree with them. 
because people really do buy into the ideology of a nation state and the patriotism is Mm -hmm. so strong in the u.s like Mm -hmm. i mean i'm not a huge basketball fan but every time i go down to portland i do love to catch a trailblazers game Mm -hmm. and i i don't know if it's just like I tend to go there at the same time every year or what the deal is, but I, I'm pretty sure every time I've gone to one of these Trailblazers NBA games, there's at least two or three like military servicemen in the crowd that like get on the Jumbotron. Yeah. They're like brought there, they get like the free ticket. Like the the propaganda that goes hand in hand with the American military is so strong. Uh that I think sometimes when you're not you don't grow up with that you don't you, it's hard mm-hmm. to comprehend but it 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 really is just like a insanely good job of prop- propagating the the just acts of the united states and its foreign policy i mean look at almost every military hollywood movie right you look at american sniper um or i'm trying to think of any other like zero dark 30 zero dark 30 is another good one where like yeah it doesn't really matter what uh what's what's the one with mark Wahlberg, lone survivor whatever but oh, like yeah it's it's funny that so they're not they're not even out of the middle east conflicts like nato and america isn't even out of these conflicts and they're already making these like propaganda movies to rewrite the narrative yeah of what happened um and i mean again saying saying all this like i do have respect and and sympathy for the the like boots on the ground infantry grunt that went there thinking they're doing the right thing with uh supporting their country and and really just not understanding the full depth of the issue right like Mm -hmm. that you have the support of uh the mahajadeen in the 1980s while they're fighting the soviet union they then become the taliban and the u.s has funded them and then they become their enemy and all the conflict that rises out of the civil war that erupts in the 90s with the taliban seizing power in uh afghanistan like none of this stuff is talked about it's just simply like they hate america Mm -hmm. our cultures clash that's why there's conflict um doesn't address that doesn't address that like back in the 1950s the British and the Americans uh, overthrew a democratically elected Iranian um, government because he he wanted to the president wanted to nationalize oil, so that led to the British and the Americans overthrowing a democrat. Like there's a long history of interference that has led up to this, mm-hmm. so it's just important to realize all this nuanced past before simply, uh, you know, saying that they're just there because they're jealous of your freedom yeah they're jealous they they want to see the west burn would you not after a hundred years if not more of well and uh, yeah exactly occupation we, or interference yeah i mean are we surprised that there's a level of anger and a level of willingness for people to want to go back or or or, or be a part of uh trying to uh you know uh sort of see a revolution i guess in those countries um but one that um yeah i mean it has been very complicated and it's been it's really brought out the worst in yeah like modern 
modern warfare, essentially. Like, what is modern warfare? What are the tactics that countries are willing to use to try and get the upper advantage right. on a very, like, uh, hard-to-penetrate um, force, essentially? Yeah, and, and it's hard because it's not, uh, like, a unified force either, right? You have all these f- uh, fragmented rebel groups. You also have uh farmers in the mountains who don't really understand why people are there and all of a sudden someone's walking through their poppy field because that's what they have to harvest to make money and it's american soldiers and all they see is another occupier and they fight they've been armed slightly radicalized and they're just like yeah get the fuck out of here yeah um well i mean like i i was listening and this isn't this isn't to say that there aren't um some very extreme radicals on in in these countries that definitely aren't aren't there to increase the prosperity for the average person in be it afghanistan or iraq right there's people with their own agendas and want to essentially they just want to seize power more than make the the country a better place for everybody so like yes of course let's acknowledge that let's acknowledge that a lot of these people do use violence on their own uh, citizens and it's just not a great situation all around but I don't think that uh, occupying it with American troops or NATO troops is... I mean, look to Syria. It's been uh, a decade now of, of conflict with uh, no end in sight. Yeah, and I mean, when you come into a city and you march everyone out of it and you you know go through person by person um, to see if anyone matches a description or they have indications that they've been radicalized, I mean you're 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 forcing them to leave you're forcing them to relocate and then you have your american soldier on the other side or your soldier with like i, I love this this little bit in, a, in an interview i was watching and the soldier was like well what are the he you know he's just initially deployed and he's like what are the rules of engagement because of course you know they get taught like okay you get a predefined rules of engagement and then you can engage the enemy and and the commanding officer was just like you just shoot at anyone who you think is the enemy right because i i think the rules of engagement are supposed to be at least in nato operations i believe is uh, you're not to fire unless you're fired upon so they have to shoot first well yeah and i mean these were these were thrown out quickly um i mean in respect to rules of engagement but then also in, in respect to like prisoners of war because yeah it's not it's like the you you know geneva conventions on human torture those were just thrown out the window because yeah didn't Somebody in the Bush administration had a, a reason for why, right? Like some, they redefine. Yeah, they like redefine what torture meant. I think from is what I've kind of interpreted. Like they kind right. of rejigged a policy that kind of said like we don't torture, we uh, intensively interrogate. Yeah, I think hence the word that we use now: enhanced interrogation methods. Yeah. Uh, so just corporate. So this is. This is where we can really see Donald Rumfeld, Donald Rumsfeld, and Dick Cheney's little uh, little powwow sesh, little powwow sesh in the in the corporate world because they yeah. had a little break from politics for a while, and mm-hmm. then they went into the corporate world where they were CEOs and uh, mem- members of the board and directors for large companies and all this sort of stuff, and we 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 see that in the corporate jargon that gets used in in american policy to justify mm-hmm. war and terror that's an yeah that's an interesting analogy i mean no that's a that's a fair way of uh i mean war is in the minds of many people something that needs to be 
supported with propaganda. Like it's just doesn't oh you can't doesn't, ha- yeah. doesn't work right if you there d- isn't propaganda. Yes. Um and yeah the the I mean they did well yeah flying planes into a building yes that is an act of war for sure but when the group is mostly saudi it's yeah yeah mostly saudi and then it's like it's not like a you're not pointing to a government you're not pointing to a country you're pointing at like a group of people that are fluid and occupy different cities and and radicalize people they're like a little infectious virus that you can't just sort of wrestle in right yeah i mean it it I guess it's it's almost like goes back to the policy of containment that the U.S. had during the, the Cold War, where they, they couldn't let a communist country to yeah. fall fall to this ideology. Um, it's insane their infatuation and how in preventing ideological spread in the world. It's and fucking gnarly, but at yeah. the same time forcing their own ideology, which is yeah neoliberal capitalism and <laughs> uh, mediocre democracy. Yeah. I mean, the American exceptionalism uh, has never failed to fuck up things left, right, and center. I mean, I, I guess the argument you could make is the only example where it's like hugely successful is Japan. Oh, I thought you were going to say parliamentary democracy. Oh. <laughs> um, I meant, I meant in uh, America occupying a place and yeah. not, not just destroying it for their advantage and turning it into uh, a country that's actually competitive with them. Mm-hmm. I think Japan's the only example. Yeah. Truly. I think, yeah. I mean. Also interesting to see how the U.S. responds when Europe is blown to pieces with the Marshall Plan post-World War II. Marshall Plan is like their way of funding the redevelopment and the reconstruction of Europe. And it's a large part of why Japan and much of Western Europe was able to recover from the war. It was this stimulus funding from the U.S. via the Marshall Plan. They okay. they allowed the Soviet Union and some of the Slavic countries, like, they were allowed in, but they didn't really want to because, like, they're now in this Cold War ideological battle. Mm-hmm. But you look at how the American government has essentially realized how to rebuild countries from war they've had a successful model to do this but in every conflict post-world war ii they have chosen not to do this and they've chosen to essentially allow the country to deteriorate deteriorate or force them into unfair trade deals through like imf or world trade organization uh yeah whatever it may be it, it just kind of feels like now it's 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 like total domination exactly it's not like hey we you know we won hey, but like we don't want to see you you know like you, we, you still need to function as a country there's innocent people that live here we, you know you need a functioning society and and, <laughs> and if we don't want the rise of fascism or the rise uh, or communism to gain a foothold in your countries we have to allow economic opportunity for you yeah we got to instill people that we know and trust unless your country has resources you want and won't be able to defend against our occupation then we will just crush you yeah (laughs) i mean that's an that's an option that i feel like 
they like they the U.S. really likes to hold over countries' heads. It's like in all aspects, we can crush you. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they yeah, they look at the economic power they have and just being able to sanction people and cut companies and people off from the u.s market it's the biggest consumer market in the world yeah and and that's that's part of the reason china can maintain this trade war is they have such a large domestic market they're not so dependent like other countries have Mm -hmm. been right same same kind of thing with the soviet union i guess to a lesser degree they didn't have the same trade relationship with the u.s but they have this like large dependent market that they control with the satellite states and themselves Mm -hmm. that they have this like large market that they don't necessarily need to trade with the rest of the world and be integrated but yeah if you're canada if you're uh, the philippines if you're like a smaller country that does a lot of business with america or china or whatever dominant economic power it is Mm -hmm. like the european union these sanctions can can really you best not be a condemning gitmo yeah. You best not be uh, running your mouth. You better keep your mouth shut is really what they're trying to get across. Should have kept your mouth fucking shut. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, it, um, no, it's interesting just to think about where this conversation has gone from starting at... A movie. At a movie. But in the in the in in an interesting way that um, we're trying to, like, get at more of the root, right? But, like these like little percolations of injustices uh, by the so-called you know, leader of everything that's supposed to be free and good in the world and the exceptionalism. Um, I I think we we, like, even we, when, when the, the mass, the masses find out about this, it's not, there's not uprising. It's like, eh, you know, those they're patriots, you know, they were doing it for our country. uh, You know, there's right. Which is, why propaganda is necessary to maintain and oh it's also because i think some people in america realize that committing these atrocities committing these injustices uh being a world superpower it's real politique right you you this is the reality of the world this is what we have to do to maintain our hegemony this is what Mm. we have to do to make sure that we maintain the dominant superpower of the world and we're going to have to break some eggs. We're going to have to crack some skulls. We're going to have to torture some people. And Ellen has some great ideas on that. And we're happy to bring her on board. <laughs> yeah. <But laughs> yeah, we're happy to raise. That, that is, you know, the real politique outlook. And, and I think that's really, uh, Rumsfeld at least is um, very much a subscriber to this. And uh, the fact that, yeah, there America is an empire and the, some a lot of the citizens realize by maintaining that status it gives them this exceptionality this higher worldview more opportunity for american business more yeah. opportunity for uh you know anything american really and and they're willing to protect that and they're willing to do what it takes and that's that is what it comes down to right when you've been propagated mm-hmm. this uh, exceptionalism and the superiority you're willing to do what you have to do to defend it yeah you're 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 screaming red white and blue regardless of having pictures of uh people being sexually assaulted in in uh, you know the times magazine i mean essentially 
Yeah, they're, well, um, they, they'll just say it's justified because yeah. they're terrorists, and there's 3,000 people killed at nine, during 9-11. That person may have been, obviously wasn't on the plane and didn't carry out that act. Mm-hmm. Like but this, someone's got to pay. But somebody's got to pay. And th- this is the thing, too. Uh, th- this is the thing. <laughs> Here's the thing. Let me tell you. Uh, okay. Let's get serious. Let's get serious. Yeah. If you were to be charged with a crime in the justice system in America or Canada, wherever it okay. is, right? You don't actually murder somebody, but you're an associate or, you know, you have some mm-hmm. other charge. Are you allowed to be tried, uh, tortured for 14 years? Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. Like, so, this, so- this is the thing, too. Like, they torture them for this long. I mean, it, would it not be more humane to just give them the death penalty? Like, 14 years of torture has to be worse. I mean, in a lot of respects, yeah. Like, um, not Because this- not all of that was spent... But uh, then you also look at how they get these confessions and you realize that all, all, like none of any of these uh, sentences would be like you can't, you can't sentence somebody to death when they're yeah. confessing under duress. And I think that was their only savior. It's like the habeas corpus you know, principle, right? Yeah. And that it, like they could keep bousting about that. And then use that to be like, oh, okay, well, you know, I mean, prisoner of war, we got to just sort of, you know, make sure we like use them to then, uh, you know, expose other people so we can take more bad guys out of the battlefield. And, um, but yeah, when you put it like simply like that, it's like, okay, well, okay, that makes sense. Sure. That's reasonable. But yeah, 14, 18 or 14, eight years, five years. I mean, without a conviction, you know, without um, any sense of um, an idea that they have might have done something bad. Yeah. This, you know. Other than them uh, taking some phone calls from some questionable people. Yeah. But this is my other thing. Like, so at what at what point it gets tricky when you try to uh, charge people based on their connections, right? Because mm-hmm. think about. Imagine you have a cousin who is affiliated with a gang and, you know, you phone them a couple of times uh, a year and they come over to your house mm-hmm. for dinner and, like, maybe you know that they're, like, you're like, ah, he, he's the sketchy cousin. Like, I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I see him a few I don't times. ask too many questions. I don't ask too many questions. Yeah. I don't really well, have too much involvement. I wish yeah. him a happy birthday. Uh, whatever it may be, the... Canadian police aren't going to come knock on your door when they get arrested and say, hey, he calls you two times a year. You're also under arrest for for association with, yeah. with gangs, right? Like, that's not how it works. They understand that just because you're in contact with somebody doesn't mean you're associated with their uh, beliefs or their organization. But that doesn't apply when it gets to terrorism. But, I mean, terrorism really is just uh, maybe... a, a a more global reaching gang and in some cases really isn't any any different than yeah. a lot of gang activity right so uh, yeah it, it gets iffy right it, like it, i'm it, sure that most people who would say they support somebody who's associated with a terrorist getting arrested uh could probably be associated to gang violence themselves because you know it only takes two 
you worked with this person and you talked to them sometimes and it turns out that they did this. So you're also at fault. Exactly. Right? That's not how it should work. Yeah. And it's like, you know, oh, there's an association. So you must have all the answers. Like this is the precedent that they're operating under. You were associated, you know, you, you, you had a phone call by, you know, from bin Laden's phone. Some people passed through your house because you're you 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 know you're helping with the mosque and you're you're op- you know opening your your doors to people therefore you have all the answers um and i mean i guess uh you know he also got ratted he also got the finger a finger pointed at him by some other guy uh, i forget his name uh, but essentially mohammedu there was a guy at Guantanamo bay who was actually directly involved with 911 Right, that said that he stayed. He stayed with, there. Yeah. He knew him well. He knew these people. He was recruiting people. Right. Um, and I'm sure that got him, you know, an extra cheeseburger. You know, that got him some extra towels. I yeah, I, I don't know less that he, beating. I don't know that he would have got a cheeseburger. Uh, maybe <laughs> well, maybe a fillet of fish. Yeah, <laughs> yes, fillet of fish. Yeah. <laughs> We're halal. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be halal. A halal. Yeah, that was a mistake. Um. But because uh, that seemed like that was a nice uh, bit of currency there in the in the movie that they had. Um, yeah, nothing like making uh, food to survive currency. Mm-hmm. That's really what you want. That's that's really how you uh, extrapolate the most amount of information from a willing uh, torture victim. Yeah, and I love how it's always fucking like McDonald's. It's like some, it's always some fast food place. Like it's always just like a greasy bag. Yeah, you know they have uh, uh, Tim Hortons on base in Afghanistan for Canadian soldiers. Really? I want to say Baghdad. I mean, had, I'm not surprised. Er, uh, no, not Baghdad. Um, Kabul is the capital of Afghanistan, right? Uh, that sounds right. Yeah, I want to say the Canadian base there had a Tim Hortons. I mean, fuck, I'd be kind of annoyed. I kind of hate Tim Hortons. Tim Hortons is fucking garbage. It actually is horrible. The coffee is so acidic and gross. It's I feel just like not I have gut coffee. Ro- gut rot immediately, and then the food. I mean, the donuts. There you go. It's in Kandahar. All right. Heather Wilson, Tim Hortons manager, Kandahar. Could you imagine if you're like in some Tim Hortons in Ontario and they're like, hey, Heather, uh, we have a really good opportunity for you. You're going to have part ownership in this new franchise. And, you know, you've just been doing really great right uh, the last couple of months. How, How do you feel about this offer? Oh, it sounds great. Where is it? Kandahar. I mean, that. (laughs) <laughs> yay <laughs> because you know this person gets to live out their greatest dreams in life to run a tim hortons and also serve the canadian government i mean can it get better can it get better than that i don't know i don't really think so i think that is kind of the, the best it gets yeah running a tim hortons in Kandahar is is the peak that any canadian could strive towards um and uh you know hand out those fucking what are those things called those fucking donut holes the donut holes apple fritters no the uh the holes of donuts the uh timbits oh timbits the box of donuts (laughs) yeah 
the box of donuts. Yeah, yeah. you know, because they cut out the hole, right? You know, you can't go that, you can't throw that to waste, right? You gotta sell it. I didn't. That's what they make timbits out. That makes so much sense. I never right? realized that. But you know, that's not what they're doing. Like, I would love to watch into a timber would... factory and be like, see them stamping out holes. But and no. then throwing away the rest of the donut. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that that would um, that would make my day. Um, that would restore my beliefs in the world. Well, it's good to know that when people are starving in the world, uh, a lot of energy and materials are going to you are being used to make shitty Timbit donuts that yeah. are going to end up in the garbage before anyone even buys them. <laughs> Just warms my heart a little bit. Yeah. Like literally you have like two or three Timbits and you feel fucking sick. Like they're absolutely horrid. Yeah. So like, there's they're just disgusting working in the cycling industry people people do like to tip mechanics with like shitty dimbits is, and, and and tim horton donuts that would piss me the fuck off and i mean i'll eat them because i'm a fat fuck but <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll probably eat two and then i'll feel well, sick but yeah because they're there i'll do you're it you're not gonna crush a whole box or a whole thing of fucking like you can't no they're like and you always feel sick after you if you eat two you're like i'm gonna shit myself but i can't yeah and then you slurp back that coffee and you get that immediate gut rot and you're like oh and the coffee has no flavor it just tastes like it tastes like two things if you drink coffee like a normal person it tastes like brown water if Mm -hmm. you drink coffee like a normal tim hortons consumer it tastes like sugar water (laughs) yeah i mean that's the only way it makes it actually bearable to be honest, maybe at uh, Guantanamo Bay, they could have just served the prisoners Tim Horton's coffee as a form of torture methods. It would be pretty effective. Yeah. I mean, I, I would... I the only to... food that they are allowed to eat comes from Tim Horton's, prepared by Ellen. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, that's, that is an enhanced interrogation method if I've ever fucking heard one. I mean, because she... I mean, could she's... you imagine spending 16 hours with Dory? <laughs> must keep I, swimming just keep, yeah that that's what you're playing just keep swimming for, just keep for 16 swimming. hours and this is how she's directly involved with the torture and i honestly can't think of anything worse i legitimately would not be surprised if that was one of the audio tracks that they used so, yeah, like you say, a play for fucking whatever, 24 hours straight on max volume. That would be destructive to the mind. Fuck. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Bush definitely took notes. Yeah, he... What year did Finding Nemo even come out? Now I need to find this out. Oh, that's a good question. Um... I'm gonna throw a guess. Yeah, throw Should a I guess. Hazard out. a guess. Hazard a guess, because I remember it. 2004. 2003. So it is. Oh shit. One year good. after Guantanamo Bay opened, so it's possible that it was used as torture. Yeah. Well, I mean, this. Yeah, like the children were traumatized by watching Finding Nemo. Yeah. So translate that. And it's going to torture grown adults in military detention even more so. Exactly. Because they're not even going to... 
I mean, they potentially wouldn't even understand. But the voice, Ellen's voice in Finding Nemo for Dory is absolutely obnoxious. Yes, I'll agree to that. I love that we're saying this, though, because Jackie is just going to hear this and she'll be like... You might have to sleep on the couch. I might have to sleep on the couch. (laughs) Um, But that's all right. (laughs) Uh... Also, these are jokes. Ellen, please don't sue us. Yeah. Don't like your content, but don't sue us. Yeah, no, exactly. It's all fun and games. It's all fun and games. All PR is good PR, right? Exactly. All PR is good PR. As long as you have a good PR machine. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to look through my notes here to see if there's any more reference. Oh, oh, yeah, I wrote down something about Finding Nemo here. Um... So Finding Nemo was actually based on a story um, of a soldier um, who got lost and then murdered 40 people. Um, Oh, yeah, I think. Oh, no, this is the plot for American Sniper. Shit, I got those confused. Whoops. (laughs) (laughs) And there you go, folks. Yeah. It always gets worse. (laughs) Yep.